0: Welcome everybody, I'm Kyle Hines, and I'll be hosting the Players Podcast, a GTM family production in partnership with the EuroLeague Players Association. I will be having in-depth conversations with current and former EuroLeague players about important topics that many athletes face on and off the basketball court. Stay tuned for more episodes. Welcome everybody to another edition, a very special episode today of the Players Podcast presented to you by the EuroLeague Players Association. Today we have a very special guest, um, you know, one of the you know most well-traveled and successful um basketball players um that has played the last number of years um and is now has done um amazing things off the court. Um my guy, fellow Gate 7 alumni, Josh Childress. Josh, how's everything? All is well, Kyle. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well, man. I can't put can't complain. Um before we start, I'd like to i am um, start off by listing, listing, you know, some of your accolades and, you know, kind of getting to your resume a little bit for for the fans and for the viewers that uh, that don't know you. Um, first off, you were the, the sixth pick of the NBA draft in 2004. Um, you've had a long career, you know, playing with the Atlanta Hawks, with the Olympiacos, as we mentioned, the Phoenix Suns, the Brooklyn Nets, the New Orleans Pelicans, the Sydney Kings, which we're going to talk about a little bit later because we have something in common there. Um, the Texas legends, two years in Japan, and another year um, in Australia. And your individual accomplishments are, I mean, are incredible as well. Um, First of all, you were a Parade All-American in high school, Um, a Stanford graduate, which may be the most impressive thing, you know, on your resume. (laughs) Um, First team, all Pac-10, all rookie team, um, all Euro league team, numerous, you know, Greek league accomplishments. NBA, MB, NBL first team, um, and now, um, which is something that we're going to get into today. Um, as you can see, the logo in the background, you're the CEO of Landspire Group, um, and amongst other things, amongst other things that you have done in your career, your career, both on and off the basketball court, man. I just want to say I appreciate you taking the time um, for stepping in and, and being a part of the Players Podcast today.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate you having me. Um, obviously uh accolades aside man it's it's uh it's been a heck of a journey i've been very blessed uh, you know and and you know growing up where you know i grew up was probably similar to a city where you grew up mm-hmm. it's not easy to to get out and to, to do what we've done so um you know just want to make sure that we always appreciate that and, and uh you know make light of that so it's been a blessing for sure
0: definitely definitely now we're on, we're gonna fast forward right into your league career um, and you were kind of, you know, um, I guess you would say a pioneer, um, of some sorts. Um, I kind of put you in a group of you, Earl blinkens um, you know, those guys that were, you know, at the time, um, you know, before you kind of came along and decided to go overseas, you know, overseas was almost looked at, looked at as, you know, a lot of guys where their careers were over, you know, you have guys like, you know, I guess you could say Dominique Wilkins and, you know. Um, Roy Tarpley and some other guys, you know, that, you know, once their careers were over, you know, they went, you know, overseas, but you were kind of a pioneer. Whereas that, you know, in the midst of your prime that you decided to, you know, take your career um, overseas and 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 play for Olympiacos. So, you know, talk about what went into that decision and what went into that process um, um, for you.
1: Yeah, man, the decision uh, really was based on the, the restrictive free agent process in the NBA
0: mm-hmm. and
1: essentially finding a way to sidestep that. Uh, you know, I was, you uh, know, I spent four years in Atlanta, was uh, what I thought was part of the core of that team. And, you know, a new GM comes in and tells me to go out and test the market. And I did. You know, I had a couple other teams that I was looking at that he didn't necessarily want to do any signing trades with. And so it just created a situation where. Um, you know, this Olympiakos deal uh, was pitched to a number of other guys, mm-hmm. uh, but I sat down with them, I understood their vision, uh, got a chance to, to, to go to Athens, um, see the facilities, see, you know, Athens in the summer, and, um, you know, the decision was easy after that. So I was able to not only, um, you know, get a contract that was, uh, was, was nice and was quality for me and my family, but also an opportunity to you know, step out of this restricted free agent process and, um, you know, still play the ball, play ball at a high level.
0: Now, what were your initial thoughts? Like you said, you, you talked to, um, you know, the, the owners of Olympiacos at the time. And then and, and when you went to Greece that very first time, um, you know, Athens is a lot different than, you know, Compton, California or, or, or Atlanta, Georgia. Um, so what were your initial thoughts when you stepped on the plane, off the plane that first time for that first visit?
1: Man, it was uh it was incredible and, and mainly because you know there was a fair amount of, of attention there you know that I didn't realize that Olympiacos had you know mm-hmm. you, you think about European basketball uh, and you know you see well I don't only see really uh, soccer to that point see the fans they their hype they're in the in the stadium going crazy uh, and I never really experienced that I mean Stanford is a pretty small um, university. Uh, you know our our fans in Atlanta. We didn't necessarily sell out every game. Let's mm-hmm. say that. Uh, so, you know, having that sort of passionate kind of rabid fan was new. Um, so for me, it was like uh, just it was cool. It was fun. It was you know a, a new thing that I hadn't experienced before. And and um, you know that kind of in combination, like I said, with you know being in Athens in the summer uh, and uh, just seeing the lifestyle and uh you know how how guys enjoy living there i spoke with an, a, a few guys as well it's just it, it made the decision a little bit easier for me
0: yeah i mean there's i mean i've like i said we're we're both Olymp- olympiakos alumni i guess you can say and you know yeah. there's nothing better than greece or athens in in the summertime um, sure, it's, it's, it's it's amazing where did you uh where did you stay at when you when you lived there
1: i was in key
0: yeah, same with me. Same with me. There's there, there's yeah, and there's okay. nothing better than Gufada, or Vula or William Mente in the summertime.
1: <laughs> for sure, man. For sure.
0: Now when you what did you know about Euroleague basketball before you came over? Um because I mean honestly for me, like I I didn't know anything about overseas basketball um at all growing up, you know, as you know, American kids, you know, our first dream is you know the NBA and that's it. And you know, overseas basketball is kind of an afterthought. But you know, what did you know about your league before you before you came? Did you know anything? Did you watch any games? Did you have any, um, you know, did you know anything about it?
1: Yeah, I didn't know anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that you know a couple of my friends played over there, so I you know I reached out to those guys, and asked some questions, um, you know, and obviously you see, you know, your high level guys from Europe come over to the league, and some have success, some don't, uh, but you know i was going into into that league you know really unaware of of what it was going to look like i'd watched some stuff on youtube and you know tried to do as much uh due diligence as i could but you know you never really know until you get in it uh, and you understand you know how how uh high level the basketball is in, in europe in your oh, specifically
0: on the court what was the biggest adjustment compared to the to the nba for you
2: uh
1: i think it was uh, you know, the the strategy behind the games behind mm-hmm. the games. Uh you know, we we had a heck of a team. Death. uh that you know we still I think tried to to strategize a bit more than other teams or you know I don't say we overdid it, but you know you got a team full of, of horses, you gotta let the horses go out and roll, right? Yeah. And uh, you know, that was a change because in the league, you just you let your your guys just get after it and you know it was very much uh you know based on like strategic plays and and you know making sure that you follow the game plan which I understand uh but you know that was a big adjustment period for me um you know and coming over there
0: we talked about the adjustment on the court but what about the adjustment off the court um I was listening to an interview you were doing a little bit earlier and you were talking about how um you know once you got to Athens you said it was difficult, but. Um, I want you to explain a little bit about, you know, your mentality. Once you got there, you you, you talked about in the interview how, you know, you kind of went with almost like an open mind, a mindfulness about going over there um, because you you said that, you know, as you know, as a young kid that you can never fathom, you know, having the opportunity to, you know, to be in, in Athens, Greece. So talk about that mentality and talk about where that kind of stem from for for you.
1: Yeah, so uh, you know, once again, never in in my wildest dreams, imagine playing basketball in Europe, Uh um, you know, and at that level. And so when I came over, um, you know, having spent three years at Stanford, I was exposed to a wide range of people, uh, you know, from a bunch of different backgrounds. So I, I'd been able to, you know, find my way in that world, um, you know, quite comfortably. And, you know, I I was going to do the same when I came to, to Athens. And so, um, you know, I spent a fair amount of time, you know, in my first kind of few weeks there, a few months there, just learning the, the culture, you know, figuring out where to go, where not to go, mm-hmm. um, you know, who you talk to, who you don't talk to, kind of all those things that you you do when you you move to a new place. Um, and, uh, you know, eventually I realized that, you know, I, I didn't like the attention like that, um, <laughs> you know, and, and you know, you're, you're walking down the street or you're at the grocery store and somebody just wants to show you their, their Panathinaikos tattoo or the Yako's yeah. tattoo, or whatever you know, and it's just like it's a yeah. constant barrage of of this. And you know, there comes a time where you know you're in it so much that you just need a break.
2: Exactly. And so yeah, towards
1: the second half of my my first year there, um, you know, I, I I spent a lot more time in the house in my second year. In the same, just because it was uh, it got overwhelming sometimes.
0: Now you were the the highest. You mentioned the contract, but you were the highest paid, you know, player outside of the NBA. Um, and you know, you got a lot of attention because of that. You know, there was a lot of you know whether or not it was you know articles from the American press or articles from the the foreign press. Did you ever feel like any added pressure be because of that? Because you know the weight of your your contract and the expectations that that kind of came with that.
1: Of course, mm-hmm. of course. I mean, I was that weighed heavily on me, especially my first year. Um, you know, coming over to Europe, having that adjustment period uh, and, uh, you know, coming in there feeling like I needed to, you know, put up 20 and 10, yeah. you know, and have a coach that said, I want you to be a part of the system. And so I'm I'm balancing that in my mind. Uh, and, you know, I've always prided myself on being a very coachable player. and And so, you know, from the outside looking in, you know, people probably would question, you know, my effectiveness, my numbers, all that stuff. And for me, it was just a juggling act where I was trying to, um, you know, live up to to the contract while also trying to, to fit into a system that, you know, the coach wanted to to, to create. So, um, you know, it's definitely, it was definitely pressure there. Um, you know, I, I dealt with it the best I could. I ended up that first year, I lost my, my father as well. So I was dealing with some personal things, um, you know, that kind of impacted me on the court, but. Uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a different kind of beast when you got that pressure and people are expecting you to do X, Y, Z because of, you know, the, the contract that you have. And I think that's a, that's a, a unique quality that, that athletes are unique situation that athletes have to deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. People know what you want, know,
2: mm-hmm. right. And,
1: and they always measure you based on, on that metric. Um, and it just creates a dynamic where, you know, your value isn't necessarily always tied to your contract. Because your value to that team is based on what you bring to that team, not necessarily, you know, the, the amount of points and rebounds and assists that you you, you know, you can put out on the floor. So um, definitely felt pressure, but, you know, it's, it's a part of the game.
0: Yeah, my, I think the, the positive of that, um, you know, for a player like me was that, um, you know, my first exposure of overseas life was seeing you. Um, you know because you went over and because you know you had garnered so much attention you know whether or not it was in you know slam magazine or you know the features they did on you on ESPN or different things like that you know my view of overseas basketball was you know seeing it through your perspective and I think it it was more comforting for me when I went to come overseas because I seen I was like wow I was like you know even though I didn't know you, but I was like, you know, Josh Childress is able to do this. He's able to, you know, live this, you know, you know, this, this life um, in Athens, Greece, um, you know, and I think it helped make my adjustment a lot easier knowing, you know, it made it more comfortable for me. So th- th- do any other guys, you know, you know, come to you and say that a lot, of, any other young guys ever come to you and, and, and talk to you about that?
1: Yeah. And I'd and say guys talk to me more about um, just opening their eyes to mm-hmm. to opportunities in greece yeah. you know or in europe in, in general, europe in general. Uh, and you know feeling comfortable and confident in being able to make a living for themselves you know providing for their families and not always feeling the need to chase the nba dream
2: yeah um,
1: exactly. the nba obviously is the nba right and it's it's the pinnacle of professional basketball uh but um, you know, guys do very well for themselves over in Europe and, um, you know, are able to create long, successful careers, uh, you know, in doing so. And so I've had a few a few guys come to me and, and really just mention that they were thankful that I showed them that, um, you know, that was a possibility and, you know, they didn't have to chase the NBA, uh, you know, at length and end up, you know, in the process, you know, missing out on a, a fair amount of, of dollars for themselves and their family.
0: Yeah, man. I, I I wanna say I want to thank you and I appreciate you because like you said, I mean you you definitely you were the you know the pioneer. I guess sometimes the you know pioneer has to take the the shots on the you know on the front line sometimes, but you definitely show that there's definitely you know life outside of you know the NBA and you can still be, you know, successful and still, you know, um, like you said, take care of your family and still, you know, be afforded, you know, many other opportunities that many people thought were only existed inside the NBA.
1: So yeah, I, no, I appreciate you, that, bro. Yeah.
0: Now I have to ask this question, and you know, um, one of the things that you know, being a you know on an Olympiakos and, and understanding the Panthenacos rivalry, um, everybody I have talked to has a story, um, Olympiakos or Panathenaikos story. Um, so first, how do you describe the Olympiakos Panathenaikos rivalry to people that don't that have never been a part of it? And then the second part of the question is you know, do you have a story because you played in some heated games. I mean, there was, there was, you know, times where I think at the time there, they were the, I guess the 10, they won eight, eight championships in a row in the Greek league or something like that. And they were defending Euro League champions one of the years before or something like that. So you guys are considered the two best teams, you know, probably in Euroleague and in one city. So I know you guys had a lot of different rivalry. So, you know, what, what is your, you know, your best, you know, moment or best memory from, you know, from those games?
1: Yes. So, I would, I mean, not everybody gets this reference, but I would describe this, that rivalry is like the bloods in the crypts on steroids.
2: That's like how I say it, that's how I say it, <laughs> just, that's how I say it.
1: You know, it's like on site, they just, yeah. they just get after yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um And, you know, it's a long heated rivalry. You're born into, you know, being an Olympiakos or Panathinaikos fan. And, you know, like I, said, I mentioned the tattoos and, you know, people, it's it's it's, a, it's life it's a lifestyle for them and so um you know that and the passion that it breeds is, is is just crazy to experience and you know i say my first exposure to it and my last exposure two stories i tell so um first exposure we have our first uh, away game at laca and uh, you know coach comes to me and says hey josh you haven't experienced this before i'm not going to start you tonight i want you to just Take this in, understand what this is going to be like, um, you know. So I'm like, all right, I've played in crazy places. Like, why, why are you acting like this? Uh, and we walk, we we walk in, we go through uh, layup lines, and all of a sudden, I look over, and uh, they're like, like fanning this area right by our bench. And I'm like, what's what's going on, dude? And so I, I saw the net, you know, that protects us, yeah. was on fire. <laughs> and so somebody shot a flare down at our bench, and and shot it, and it landed in the towel bag. and The towel bag caught on fire, and it's just like, this is the start of you know of the game. And so I, I'm just like, all right, what, what the heck did I get myself into? And then fast forward to you know my last game in in Greece, uh, it was at um, at Seth.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and uh, you know it was it was in the playoffs, and we would go out to warm up and everybody's like coughing. And I'm like coughing, eyes water, and I'm like, what the heck is going on? So they usher us back into the locker room and we asked what's happening. And the police had to shoot tear gas in the gym <laughs> because our fans were going crazy, right? So had to let it air out, you know, had to go back out, warm up again. Uh, and um, we played a game, game's not going well. Uh, and so, to um, start to see stuff flying from the, from the stands. Uh, and my, I have a couple of my buddies there that that game. And uh, you know, I look over and they're just like, dude, this is crazy. So the fans had gone into the bathrooms. They'd broken down the toilets. They were throwing like pieces of ceramic. They were throwing toilet handles, stuff from the faucet sinks. Um, you know, my buddy uh, got hit with a bottle that was filled with uh, urine and feces uh and it's just it was just a crazy thing so then um somebody throws something on kind of near near fontanaco's bench and um one of the things i'll never forget your time hopper in told me he said josh whatever you do if anything touches the floor never never touch it never yeah. go grab it never kick he's like he's telling me the story of somebody that uh, got two of their fingers blown off going to pick up something off the floor and yeah, sure enough, this was like an M eighty or some sort of like firecracker or something that they threw on the, on the floor and made a, a black mark on the, on our, our, our floor. So it's it's wild, man. It's wild. You know, you obviously you've been in some of the other places with, uh, you know, like uh, Serbia. They they got mm-hmm. the laser pointers or rolls of receipt paper. And they were throwing hot coins at you, batteries, whatever. So it's it's a jungle out there, man.
0: Yeah, man. I think like like I said, I think some of the people you tell tell this to and tell these stories to that that don't understand it don't experience where I try to tell it to my friends, you know, back home. And I'm sure you've done the same that they, they don't get it. Like, and, and it's yeah. hard to really let you experience it. Like it's hard to really put in words. Like for my, my experience, like we were playing in the the cup and at the time, I don't know how it was when you guys, but at the time when we played, the cup was the only time that both fans from either team could be there. So we were playing at the gym in, uh, in Glafada, um, at the old airport. Um, and, Olympiacos fans is on one side, Panthanakos on, fans is on one side, and I'm out there just warming up, and they're shooting flares back and forth at each other. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, I guess I was the target or it was a misfire. Somebody shot a flare. I'm at the free throw line, you know, working on my free throws. Somebody shot a flare, hit me right in the back of my head. Boom, I fall on the ground. Ah. <laughs> my warm-up pants are on fire. <laughs> they, they pick me up, take me to the locker room. Right, so this is like right before the coach starts the speech, so I'm sitting there and I'm just like, you know, still a little, you know, like what's going on? So the coach just gets up and just draws the play and, and and I'm just looking and I'm like, yo, we're not going to mention anything about me getting hit with a flare in my head. And you know how it is in Greece and some of the Greek players, are like, no, this is, this is just this Olympiacos Panathinaikos, And we just kept it moving like nothing even happened. And I was just like, Man, this is... <laughs> hilarious yeah man it's uh, somebody really needs to do uh, a deep dive for like a book um about the rivalry and like different player stories because like i said everybody i've ever talked to and and i'm sure the same for you um has a story or has some type of experience about about the rivalry so for sure
1: for sure and that, yeah. those, those those stories are crazy man and just to think through just the the deep rooted level of hate that they have for each
0: other. It's, insane. <laughs> it's, it's personal. Like I, I've heard stories of like you know like family members. Like you know one one family member or a cousin is Olympiacos and somebody else is Panathinaikos. And that day of the game, they don't talk to each other. Like they don't associate with each other. Like it's it's intense, man. It's intense, man. For sure, for sure, it's intense. Now I want to talk about the EuroLeague Final Four, and this is another thing that I tell a lot of people and, and my friends, and you know those, um, you know, outside of European basketball is you know is is amazing event. It's something like you know no other. You know, some I guess you can kind of compare it to the NCAA Final Four, but mm-hmm. the amount of you know fanatics, you know, and the amount of fans and the environment is is unreal. And you had the opportunity to play in two of them, and, and two of the games that you played were probably with two of the, um, I guess super intense games you know the first one was in 2009 in berlin with Panathinaikos, the semifinal game i think that's correct and in 2010 yeah. was paris with Partizan, who has another you know crazy fan group so you know mm-hmm. for those that don't know or for those that haven't experienced the final four talk about that that final four experience you know and just the atmosphere and uh, everything about that it goes along with that yeah no
1: it's an incredible atmosphere and uh i would I haven't been to an NCAA Final Four, but I would rival it to that sort of energy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the whole city is, uh, you know, is is basketball. You know, and and everywhere you you see banners, you see, uh, you know, marketing materials. Uh, you know, it was it was incredible. I mean, I was I was just blown away at the level of professionalism
2: mm-hmm. and
1: you know the standard that this is at because once again, people don't understand. You know the the level of, of of European and Euroleague basketball, and I mean this is just it's, it's, it's a class act. So um, you know going in there, uh, in the arena, seeing you know essentially four quadrants of, yeah. of teams and you know their respective styles, how they respond, all the other fans uh, was just uh, it was unlike anything i ever seen. Man, I was uh, I was definitely thankful for that. I mean we we ended up first year there we lost to, to Panathinaikos in the, the semis um you know in a in a heated game which was you know unfortunate and then second year um we ended up making it to the finals and just overmatched with Barcelona but um I mean it's it's uh, one of the best experiences I've ever I've ever had, you know, playing basketball.
0: Oh, and I wanted you to talk about that, uh, the semifinal putback, which is like, you know, one of the most, one of the most historical plays in, in uh, you know, your final four history. Now, how did you have the awareness to know that, you know, that I think it was Milos that shot that shot there. How did you know the awareness to know that Milos, like, you came from the wing of the three-point line, if I'm not mistaken, to, you know, to catch the ball and, and tap it in? Reminds me of, uh uh what play was that? Uh, The college basketball play. Um, Was it? Villanova in Georgetown, I think, or something like that, where they, no know, NC State, NC State, NC State, in, uh, and they shot the ball and they had to tip in. It reminds yeah, me yeah. very similar to that. So, you know, yeah. talk about that play and just your, you know, break that down and your awareness to kind of know that um, the ball was coming off when you scored it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the you know, my whole career, I was, you know, I always crashed the glass. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, you know, I led the Pac-10 in, in rebounding as a wing. You know, I was one of the leading rebounders as a guard in the league, you know, my first few years. That's just a part of my game. I, I just hit the glass. And, um, you know, whether Milos would miss or made the shot, I was going to be in there somewhere trying mm-hmm. to just make sure, you know, I, I gave us a chance. Uh, and, yeah, it was just luck would have it. It just came right to my hands. <laughs> and I just, just you know, tip dunked that thing in. And, and um, I can't tell you, number one, obviously, it would have been a massive upset if we lost that game. Yeah. But, um, you know, just the, the extra life that we gave ourselves on the bench, everybody was hot, hyped. Pat Beverly came over there, you know, <laughs> punching me in the chest and going crazy. Um, and to this day, I'm, I'm not even gonna lie, I get death threats from from uh, partisan fans. Really? You know, they're oh still,
0: still not over it?
1: <laughs> still not over it. I get death threats. I get, you know, F you this, that, and I hope you this, and this. I mean, they, wow. they, they still hate me over there. So, you know, for whatever reason, man, I I, uh, I made some enemies, but, uh, you know, it was definitely a, a big moment for for the club. And, you know, I know that our, our fan base was happy that we went to the finals for the first time in while.
0: Definitely, definitely. Now, you've, like I've said before, you've been well traveled um, in your basketball career. Um, you've played in just about almost every continent. Um, or lived in almost every continent. Now, was that a conscious choice, you know, after coming from EuroLeague and kind of experiencing, you know, what you experienced in in Athens, you know, to go to Australia, to go to, you know, Japan, to, you know, experience these different, you know, different places. Um, And then, you know, how has that made you, um, you know, a better person, you know, being able to experience and and what did you kind of take away from, from each one of those places that you played at?
1: Yeah, so doing it in Greece, let me know that i could do it mm-hmm. you know that i could go live somewhere else and, and be comfortable be fine play there you know and 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 do my thing and uh after i got uh i was with the pelicans i ended up having my second sports hernia surgery so then they waived me uh and you know at that time i was just like man you know i'm gonna go back i'm gonna finish my degree mm-hmm. maybe this is it right you know i I was like 10 years in at the time, I think, Uh, you know, and and mentally I was like, all right, I, you know, 10 years. So that's a great career. Uh, You know, my body's starting to break down on me. Let me go here. Let me get my degree and and kind of finish this thing out. And, um, you know, I was on campus and like, I was going to hoop and open Mm -hmm. runs with with the camper players, you know, just realized you got a little bit more left in the tank. And uh, so uh, I was still uh, getting paid by Phoenix So it wasn't like a financial thing for me, and Mm -hmm. it was just like, all right, well, where do I want to go that I I haven't been before? Uh, And our seasons always mismatched with Australia because I always wanted to visit there. Yeah. Uh, But you know, it was always the I was always playing during their summer, and so I didn't want to go in the winter because that's you know pointless. So um, it just so happened that I got a call from my agent. He said, "What do you think about Australia?" You know, they were looking at some some other guys, but. Um, if you're interested, and so I took that opportunity um, also to to then be connected with some business people in in Sydney, and you know that was a part of my my ask and going. And mm-hmm. the, the salary cap there is is nothing like Euroleague and yeah. nothing like the NBA. So um, you know it was just an opportunity for me to go out and, and invest in myself uh, by getting some some real good time to sit with some business people, uh, you know, in a market that you know, spoke English, had similar business, uh, you know, acumen and and uh, kind of principles to the U.S. You know, Australia is kind of the, the test market for a lot of companies that then, you know, launch here in the U.S. So um, that was my strategy behind it. Uh, and I loved it. I loved that time over there. Um, you know, Japan was a little different, different story, but um, <laughs> Australia was, was more about, uh, you know, just going over and, and learning and, and living in a country that I'd wanted to visit.
0: Now for those that don't know, um, you were able to, you know, like you said, you you spoke with and, and met with in a lot of business people over in Australia. And now it it gave you the opportunity to become an owner, um, and of a team. Um, so which is something that we now have in common. Um, you know, I've I've joined the the uh, I guess the ownership group of the the Brisbane Bullets recently. So you know when, right. when, yeah. So when so when our teams play against each other, man, we gotta we gotta we gotta do a wager or something. Where I gotta talk some trash okay. to you or something. <laughs>
1: man. Congrats, congrats! Thank yourself. you, thank How you, you.
0: Well. thank you. Just 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 recently, just recently, just yeah. recently happened. Cool. So cool. appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. But just so just talk about that. I mean, just the the opportunity to you know to be an owner and 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 why you chose you know the the NBL and 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 to be um you know in Australia.
1: Yeah so um australian league from when i first went over there to now has grown exponentially um the league has gotten more professional uh, larry kesselman came in and bought the league yeah. um and it's done an amazing done great job. job so um you know with that i think you know the, the ownership component you know it's kind of broken up into two things for me uh number one uh it's it's just spending 15 years playing uh you know for teams and dealing with that like it's just a a, a really cool i guess honor and privilege to now be a part mm-hmm. of group, mm-hmm. you know and try to create a culture and a vision and you know something successful on the other side of it right so that's one one component and then two um you know having a chance to go out and spend some time in australia mm-hmm. uh you know, on a yearly basis for me is also you know, a big deal, and, and uh, you know I have some lifelong friends there that I love to con- kind of continue to see and and all that. So um, the combination of that, in addition to it, I think being a good investment, yeah, uh, is is why I, I I ended up doing the deal. Um, you know, the the league has done what it's done now without a major TV deal. Um, yeah. You know, I had success with you know uh, uh, Terrence Ferguson, Lamelo, uh, R.J. Hampton you know, um, this kid, Jayshon Tate, just came out, Torrey Craig, you know, you're seeing more and more guys, you know, transition from the NBL to the NBA. Uh, and I think that, you know, now you got the NBA reacting to that, right? They got this G League team that they want to create to kind of keep kids here. But, you know, more and more guys are going to continue to make that transition to the to the NBA out of the NBL, uh, which I think is going to continue to help help grow the league.
0: I agree. I mean, I think it's, uh it's, the, the league has definitely, I've been following the league for a while now. And I think like the potential and the growth factor of the league is, is incredible. Um, and for them to be able, you said they haven't been to do what they've done without a major TV deal and only have, you know, eight or nine teams in the league currently, um, if they're able to, you know, continue this on this rate. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it has a lot of, like I said, it has a lot of, a lot of great opportunities.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure.
0: Now I want to get into, um what the the main topic of of our of our conversation of our podcast is today and that is you know athletes um getting involved in real estate um real estate investment real estate in, uh, development um you know as we've seen i think you know recently um which has always kind of been um but i think it was more passively in the past um athletes have you know taken a more active role um in real estate real estate developing, whether or not it's buying whole, whether or not it's flipping or wholesaling, or like you're doing, you know, large scale development deals. So I wanted to talk to you more about it because you have experience um and you're somebody, you know, that has recently um retired and you know you've kind of, you know, died right in and you've had tremendous success. Um, so first off, I want to talk why real estate? You know, what was it about real estate that, you know, was the I guess the asset class that you chose to, you know, spend your time in and in, and in, in invest um, you know, majority of, I guess you can say your finances also your time and, you know, and and why'd you choose real estate as your the second part of your, you know, of your of your career?
1: Yeah. So real estate for me, you know, going way back to like my my great grandparents, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were landowners in the South mm-hmm. and that wasn't normal, right? And so I saw the power of what real estate did to then provide for my grandparents and then my mom and, uh, you know, and the family in general, and that was all done through, through real estate. And so fast forward to college, you know, my scholarship donor at Stanford was, uh, is a, a real estate tycoon. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I saw the power of that too, right. You took, you know, you took me and probably another hundred and plus people, um, who may not have been able to afford a Stanford education, us through school through real estate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, as I played, I, I invested in and dabbled in a bunch of different, uh, you know, sectors, uh, venture capital, private equity, uh, you know, and the like, and I just always kind of came back to real estate somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my last year kind of when I thought I was gonna retire, but, um, in 2018 I ended up uh, buying a commercial property here in, in, in Southern California. And um, that was like my first story into larger scale properties. I'd invested as an LP in a number of deals before that, but um, that this was like mine. And uh, you know the cash flows, the tax benefits, you know, um, you know all of those things, and and quite frankly, like not having to manage it day to day, yeah, uh, was
2: appealing.
1: And so um, that kind of in conjunction with just it, it being a tangible asset. Uh, that I can go, I can go walk my property. I can go, you know, I can go walk the property with my daughter and say, "Hey, this is yours in the future. That's tangible, you know, and and it's not something that, um, you know, I have to, it's not like a, just an investment that I made that isn't doing anything, um, you know, I have no control over. So, um, you know, all those, those things in combination is why I chose the real estate space.
0: Now, why would you recommend, or why would you suggest athletes to, to, become real estate investors. Um, to me, I think the, the the biggest positive that you already named, you know, some of the tax incentives and, and cash flow and possibilities for generational wealth. But I think, to me, why many athletes kind of gear towards real estate is the whole tangible assets. It's a tangible thing. Like you said, it's not like stocks. It's not like, you know, other investments. But, you know, to you, your opinion, um, in somebody's experience, you know, why would you tell athletes or an athlete to you know to invest or start investing in real estate.
1: Well, I think there's a number of reasons. Uh, one being, um, you know, real estate has created more millionaires in this country than I think any other space.
0: Absolutely. Uh,
1: so that, that's the, the the financial component of it. Uh, you know, as you are spending so much time honing your craft, mm-hmm. you know, and and being active in in your current profession that pays the bills. Uh, having something that you don't have to actively manage is uh, a benefit. Uh, you know, I mean, you mentioned the tax, the tax benefits, uh, and I just think that like it's something that you can grow over time, and you can you can start incrementally. Um, you can you know purchase a, a a single family residence in the town that you live in, and you know buy one every year that you play you play yeah. 10 15 years you've got 10 15 properties that are cash flowing you know a thousand to to you know two thousand dollars a month and you know that's something that you can set up you know and kind of keep for the long haul and i think as athletes we uh you know you know money go money comes money goes you know you got so many other things that you're doing you're trying to manage you know making sure that you, you you're on top of your game having something that you can kind of passively you know, create a, a portfolio around um, and provide long-term stability for you and your family is is powerful for me. So all those things kind of combined is why I think athletes should, athletes should take a look into real estate. Um, in addition to, like I said, the tax component is, is a major one.
0: I thought when, and I, I see it on your Instagram when you said you know the the whole thing about buying you know one property a year for every year that you played. I think that was a, a a super simplified strategy. That it's something that every athlete or I don't mean every athlete, but every person is something that that they can maintain. So, um, I think that's 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 awesome advice. Now I have a question about you know one of the things that most athletes you know because especially overseas guys. Um, You know, we're away from, you know, our our home or away from, you know, our local community, you know, for a long period of time. Um, And a lot of guys feel like they don't have the opportunity to, you know, um, you know, manage or afraid to get in real estate. You know, what, what are some ways that you, like you said, you got your start in 2018, but what were you doing up to that point to kind of educate yourself so that way, you know, about real estate, so that when when you were finished and when you were, you know, able to, you know, start buying properties, um, how did you prepare yourself? You know, up to that time, while you were still playing, uh,
1: YouTube University. Yeah. You know, Latino. <laughs> you I, got, I
0: got a I got a PhD in YouTube University. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: got a ton of time, ton of downtime. You're on the road. Uh, you know, you can spend an hour a day. You know, checking out. Uh, you know buy strategies or, or how to, um, you know, how to acquire properties, you know, for little to no money down, um, you know, you spend a fair amount of time away and, you know, so you can go out and, and, you know, buy a place, rent it out for, you know, nine months out of the year or, or whatever, you know, you're only really home a couple months, you yeah. know, if you're playing on, on, on a good Euro league or a good European team. Um, and, and yeah, man, you can get into properties at a low price point. So that's, that's the one thing that I do like about it not all guys, but a lot of guys come from, from uh, you know, humble beginnings and in inner cities and, and, you know, you can go buy properties in, in Detroit for $20,000. Yeah. You know, you can buy some properties in, in some of these cities for, for, for a little to nothing relative to you know, some of the contracts that guys are getting. So, um, you know, spend time learning about it, uh, you know, maybe reach out to some local brokers, join some real estate investment groups um, in your local area And yeah, I mean, truly, like, you know, buying one a year, I remember when my my daughter was born, um, you know, I I bought a property in Memphis as like a a college fund for her, Mm -hmm. right? And and it was, you know, much cheaper than buying a house in California. But, you know, now she has something that's going to grow over 18 years Mm -hmm. uh, from an equity perspective, but also that's, you know, depositing money into a bank account for her for the long haul. And that's something that's passive. Uh, you know that I I don't really have to manage too much, uh, and you know it's a way to just to just grow, um, you know, grow your net worth and your portfolio uh, in a simple manner. So I, I highly encourage more and more athletes to get involved uh, because not only on the investment side, but you know, being probably some of the more um, well-respected and famous people from the areas that we came from, you can leverage that into um, opportunities with your local cities. Uh, to to do deals and and, and work with them, um, you know, in any capacity. I'm doing that right now in Compton, right? I, I'm yeah. doing a, um, a 75 unit development there, uh, you know, based on just my time in the city and, and wanting to see, you know, affordable housing come to the city. So,
0: yeah. So I mean, that was kind of my next question. Um, but before we get to that, I wanted to ask you, you know, because a lot of a lot of time, athletes are afraid of the the fear of getting started. So can you talk about, you know, when you, when you bought your first property and, you know, what made you kind of like, you know, just, I guess almost like I say is press the button, just press the button and kind of, you know, just kind of go at it. Um, and now let's talk about, you know, moving into now, the second question is how many units, um, you know, do you currently have right now? Um, and so those those first two questions.
1: Yeah, so about uh, my first, first property when I got mm-hmm. drafted, I bought, you know, a house when I was in Atlanta, about my mom's house, uh, you know, so that was my first step into real estate. Uh, I held those for a long period of time. Uh, You know, the the Atlanta market got hot again. I was able to sell those, um, you know, and and make some cash there. Uh, Then my first kind of project I did, I did a flip project here in in, uh, Long Beach, Uh, was able to pick up a property from a wholesaler, Um, you know, for 300K, I put, you know, some dollars into it. Uh, myself and actually a former, um, another former basketball player, Jamal uh, mm-hmm. Sampson. You know, we were able to be successful in that endeavor. Uh, we made some, some dollars on that. Uh, and then I started to understand the inefficiency in trying to do, you know, flip, fix and flips, if you don't yeah. have a, a kind of full scale uh, operation doing so. Uh, you know, and so those dollars were tied up for, you know, six to nine months and you know, it was with the hope of selling and making a profit. Uh, you know, so if you don't have a system where you're doing, you know, three to five to seven to ten of those a year, it really makes it hard to create a sustainable business. Um, and that's when I then stepped into the larger commercial properties. So I bought a 12-tenant center uh, here in Orange County, and that was my first larger purchase. Um, and uh, that acquisition has been been great for me uh, so far. Um, you know, COVID has, has created a little bit of a bumpy path, but we've been able to oh. navigate that, to figure that out. And then, you know, I got with my former college teammate and roommate Justin Davis, mm-hmm. and we were like, "All right, there's going to be a lot of investment that's going to go, going to these inner cities through opportunity zones. We need to do something about that because we are representative of the community. We got to make sure that we come in there and, and actually make sure that these investments are impacting the community in a positive way and not just making somebody else richer." Mm-hmm. So that's what we started Lancebar Group, and uh, you know, and and now we have a um, uh, little under 400 units in the pipeline for development.
0: Congratulations, uh, congrats.
1: Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, and then we were part of the acquisition of a 500-unit hotel here in Newport Beach, uh, and um, I'm invested in an LP in a number of, of other properties across the country. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't I haven't actually done a tally on how many units I'm involved in, but
0: uh, that's a, that's a good problem to have.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to grow the right way, man. And, and yeah. People and, and so, you know, this, this process for me has been a, a heck of a learning experience, but, you know, I'm happy that I'm going through it with people that I trust and that I know.
0: Now, now many athletes, you know, we get presented with deals, whether or not they're good or bad um, all mm-hmm. the time. So how how have you gone about in your career, especially real estate deals? I know that all the time there's, you know, guys that you get presented with, you know, development deals or you know, their friends wants to do a this flip or you know, that type of stuff. So, you know, how were how have you been, you know, vetting deals um, you know, over the course, you know, of your experience as a player? And then what advice would you give? know, to to other athletes or, you know, other players specifically, you know, about vetting deals and, and, and trying to make sure that they, they find the best deal for them in their investment strategy.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of that comes from figuring out, you know, what you want out of the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, is it an equity play, you know, where you're trying to, you know, force appreciation? Is it a cash flow play where you just want to get some, some cash coming in monthly? whatever your needs are for that investment. um, You know, I think that's the first thing. Secondly, from vetting um, deals, it's hard. I mean, just point blank. Everybody has a deal and everybody wants to sell you on a deal. Uh, And what I would do is, I would essentially just suggest um, either, uh, you know, hiring somebody to to help you vet the deals uh, or working with your financial manager to kind of help you on that front as well. Um, you know, I've experienced it on both sides now where I, you know, as an athlete was pitched, you know, deal after deal. And now as an investor, um, you know, I'm, I'm pitching guys deals. Mm-hmm. And so I know the difficulty in, you know, can I trust this guy? Is this a good deal? You know, is this going to be, you know, uh, a two X or three X, you know, am I going to lose money? What's, what's this look like? Um, you know, so it's, it's really difficult to navigate the space, um, you know, so education is key, but, um, you know, really get, getting with people you trust. I mean, I, I've, I've talked to a number of other, um, you know, basketball players about, um, opportunities that they'll show me, say, Hey, do you think this is a good deal? Um, I give them my honest feedback and, um, you know, I'm open to doing that with more guys. It's just a matter of, you know, getting an understanding of how serious they are about the investment space before. You know, I spend my time and yeah. and, and and waste their time as well.
0: Now, now now in the second part of your career, um, I think sometimes a lot of athletes are afraid because they don't necessarily aren't comfortable in these rooms, aren't comfortable, you know, with speaking with, you know, a lot of these, you know, big name developers and stuff like that. Have you found that um during your time, have you found that there has been any pushback because you're an athlete or because, you know, people only feel that, you know, that you're only, you know, in this or only part of these deals because of your name and not necessarily because of, you know, other value that you can contribute? Have you re- experienced anything? And, and how do you, as an athlete, kind of navigate those waters to kind of put it where you can kind of show people that, you know, that I'm really like, this is really what I'm really trying to do. It's not just, you know, a money player, or not just because, I'm you know, I'm Josh Childress or whoever
1: right right I experience it at all the time
0: yeah i mean people see
1: athlete first now fortunately you know having gone to stanford that also is part of my package right and so yeah. people see that and there isn't always the the same sort of assumption that here's just this you know athlete who doesn't know what he's doing mm-hmm. um but i say all that to say it's something that you'll deal with for the rest of your life, until you are a true professional in this other field, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I experience that on a daily basis. Um, I get meetings because of my background, and then it's on me to actually show up and present, and you know, make sure that they understand that I'm I'm more than what you saw. You know, uh, getting a tip in in your league, like yeah. I'm, you know, I'm a I'm a uh, an investor, and, and I'm taking it seriously. And um, you need to understand that and appreciate that. And, you know take me seriously as well so it's all about your presentation mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm punctual i make sure you know i'm prepared and um you know all those things just like you would in a, in a basketball game you you know you you um you know you watch film you you know you uh go through shoot around you get your pre-game nap you you mm-hmm. know all those things it's, it's the same qualities you know that i'm taking into these meetings the discipline the the, the, the work ethic preparation um, that I'm I'm taking into this space as well. So, you know, making sure that you marry the two uh, and and are, you're, you're serious because if you are, people will take you seriously.
0: Now, how often are you know when when you were in the locker room when you were playing? How often are other athletes or other players having these type of conversations about you know their investments, their 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 real estate deals, or you know what they're interested in off the court. Um, you know when it comes to entrepreneurship or or anything type of business, because I know that I'm noticing more and more. Um, I feel like when I first came in, that these conversations were something that were almost taboo, like they were something that never happened. But now, um, recently over the past two, three, four years, I'm re- knowing that younger guys or even guys in general are talking about, you know, what they're on or what they're invested in. So how have you seen that and during your course of your career, like I said, are these conversations or these topics that are something that are coming up, we you know amongst, you know, the the players that you play with or during your time?
1: Yeah, so the, a big, com- a big component of this is guys have access to more things than they had access to before.
2: Yeah. All right. So that's with, very true.
1: with social media, with you know Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, you know all these platforms, you know I can get to a CEO of a company or um, you know somebody that can get to meet a lot easier than before. So the access is is grown has grown exponentially. Mm-hmm. Secondly, uh, back when I came into the league, uh, you know it was more impressive, or guys were competing more about your car, your chain, your <laughs> watch. You know these sorts of material things and i think that shifted now to you know what tech company are you in what are you invested? what you know how many exits have you had like and so the mentality has shifted and i think with that now the conversations have shifted where guys are much more open and and uh, apt to talk about what they're investing in what they're looking at uh versus before it's just it's a different mentality you know the newer generation has a much more open mindset towards it and you know what was cool at one point isn't necessarily as cool uh,
0: now. Now, what are your? And I only have a few more questions left. But what are your goals? You know, for the Landspire Group. Um, you know, where would you like to see it? Um, you know, you've you've really I think you guys started it two years ago, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so where would you like to see it? You know, you know, ten years from now. Um, you know.
1: Yeah, uh, I would love to see Landspire Group as a uh, a firm in this country that, uh, is obviously minority led minority Mm -hmm. owned and, you know, uh, is able to hire people from inner cities and, you know, just more people that look like us in the real estate space. I think that that's important. It's a, it's definitely a need in, in commercial real estate as it's a, um, an industry that's, uh, not representative of the, I think the community at large, Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to have a portfolio of uh you know upwards of seven to to eight thousand units um you know and and pushing um you know over a billion dollars in in value Mm -hmm. uh i think uh i'd like to to create a a program where we can um, provide scholarships to more and more kids um at the local level and also at universities and you know really just like be a catalyst for change in, in inner cities right and so uh, you know, being a kind of the, the go-to group for athletes, but also, um, you know, for, for other, other capital to come in and invest successfully so that we can provide a platform for guys to, to, you know, um, you know, make money outside of, of their nine to five.
0: Yeah, man, I think it's and I mentioned before, I mean, you're you've been a pioneer, you know, for all of us younger athletes as far as, you know, with overseas basketball and just your, your career and showing that you can have success on the court. But I think even now, which is even more important, that you've been a, a pioneer um, as far as this real estate game, you know, the mm-hmm. things that you're doing, the development deals that you're doing and how much success that you have had and how you have the ability to scale up, Um, you know, at at. And in such a short amount of time um i think like you said is, is definitely a, a motivating factor you know for many of us like i have you know conversations about with one of my guys malcolm delaney about you you know all the time about different things that you do and different real estate things so um i just want to say um i appreciate you man i appreciate like you said even more what you've done on the court but you know even more what you're doing off the court You know, that you continue to to share and continue to provide content and provide motivation for you know, for all of us out there. Um, so my last three questions um, are, you know, what advice would you give to a overseas basketball player or a basketball player or an athlete in general that wants to get his start in real estate? They want to know, you know, where where do I start? You know, like you said, you have a whole bunch of stuff on YouTube, there's books, you know, everybody is a, a real estate guru on Instagram. So, you know, for you, what advice would you give them to, you know, to, to have their start?
1: Um, first write down a, a list of goals that mm-hmm. you want to have with, with real estate. Is it to buy your first house? Is it to buy a portfolio of houses? Is it to buy an apartment building? Is it to build a community center? What, what's your goal? Mm-hmm. So write down a list of three goals. And then I would, I would go to a website called bigger pockets, oh. uh, which is I live by. bigger pockets, great resource for starting for individuals starting in the space. Um, you know, I used to suggest reading um, Rich Dad Poor Dad, but he kind of came out and said some some crazy stuff on a racial space. So I, yeah. I don't necessarily like uh, funnel people there anymore. But mm-hmm. it still is a great tool to to shift your mentality towards mm-hmm. Uh And um, I mean, yeah, then when you're home, do a deal. Yeah, you know, I think people have analysis paralysis, and they they go and they want to you know, analyze stuff for, you know, years and years and years, do some research, find a reputable broker in your area. Um, you know, I would shy away from from dealing with, um, you know, family members that don't know what they're doing because mm-hmm. uh, that's be a recipe for disaster. So find a broker, find a realtor um, that you trust uh, and that you build a rapport with, have them show you some options, um, you know, in the rental space and, you know, and do a deal. Don't do a large deal, but, you know, do one to get your feet wet uh, that you know, you know, can get rented out, uh, you know, while you're gone, and and that would be how I would start.
0: Last two questions, um, and it's kind of kind of similar, but you know, what advice would you give to a young basketball player that is looking to become, you know, not only successful in basketball but successful in life? Like I said, you've you've been well traveled, you know, you've had plenty of success on the court. Um, so what would you, what advice would you give to a young basketball player um, that wants to have a, you know, a longevity, a longstanding pro career like you have had?
2: Uh,
1: first thing I would say is reach out to an older player, uh, a guy that you, know, you, you look up to, trust, you've heard good things about, um, you know, something that I wish I would have done earlier in my career mm-hmm. um, that I didn't. Uh, but, you know, we, we've we gone through a lot and we've navigated spaces that, uh, you know, a lot of other kids um, shouldn't have to navigate, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we can help them in that regard, I think that it's, it's uh, really a beneficial thing for both sides. So reach out to a player that you think can help you, um, you know, that's like-minded, that's from your area. I guarantee you most of the guys will gladly help you. Um, so that's number one. Uh, number two is, you know, dedicate yourself to being the best version of yourself mm-hmm. so a, a large portion, portion of that is personal development um you know you should be trying to read a, a book uh, a month uh on you know a wide range of topics outside of, of basketball right get out of your comfort zone read you know something on mindset read you know one of phil jackson's books read um shoe dog wh- whatever it mm-hmm. is but you know something to to, to kind of get you um, you know more seasoned and more uh, exposed to uh, areas outside of what you're predominantly focused in. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I, I mentioned this in a couple of other things, is just write down a list of goals. Yeah, uh, I think that that's one of the powerful things to do because it forces you to think about what you want to accomplish and um, and then you have a clearer pathway to doing that if you know if you know what you want what you want to accomplish.
0: I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. Um, and my last question is the question I kind of put everybody on the spot with, um, to try to transition back to basketball. Um, talking specifically about your league. Um, like you said you played there two years. Who was a player that you played against or played with that surprised you? Um, like you said, you played with some, you know, great players, whether it was Big Sofu or Tia Dosic or um, Papa Lucas and you played mm-hmm. against a lot of great players in that era. So what was a player that you that you had no idea about or somebody that surprised you that you played against, um, you know, during that time?
1: It had to be Milos.
0: Yeah. So, oh,
1: man. To, <laughs> and he, dude, is just yeah, is, you know, his abilities uh, were just incredible to me because, yeah. you know, I think you, know, you look at what he's done you know he's had success obviously but he's a guy that i mean it just his passing ability was was unbelievable um you know and and you know you have these guys that like are successful because they don't care yeah. you know they don't care about making mistakes they don't care that was him yeah you know and and you know you're, you have these other guys who overthink everything want everything to be perfect and um you know i just i really enjoyed watching him uh you know as a as a teammate as a player as a fan uh, I think he, he he plays at a high level, um, so him and then uh, you know um, uh, spinulis as well. Mm-hmm. I think that what he's been able to do over his career is is incredible. Uh, you know, I saw him early when he was in the league. You know, mm-hmm. when it didn't go, go well, uh, but you know his his transition back to Europe and like you know his his dominance in, in Europe has been incredible. So those were the two i mean there's so many that i could name yeah. that, you know i'd never heard of or um hadn't seen play that, that you know were were really great players uh but you know those are the two that come to mind first
0: and the last question i'm i'm not sure how much current Euroleague league basketball you get opportunity to watch but who is your you know the favorite favorite player to watch currently or um you know in Euroleague league basketball right now
1: shoot uh mike james
0: mike my guy yeah <laughs>
1: That dude is a monster. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable.
1: Going, um, you know, I mean, he's, he has a total package offensively. Um, and I haven't watched a ton of games. I see yeah. a lot of the highlight stuff on Switch Cultures. But, I mean, his finger rolls from the free throw line. You know, all over the place. both, both hands. Step <laughs> back. I mean, it's just, you know, the, the offensive package is elite. So I would say he's one of my favorites to watch.
0: All right, man. Well, I appreciate. It. I know you, know you. You you got a busy schedule, and you're doing a lot. Um, you know, being the CEO of your own company. But I just want to say, man, I appreciate you taking the time. You know, uh, you know, for the on on this on this uh, content and on this on this format of uh, you yeah. know letting us all know about your experiences, both on and off the on and off the basketball court. Oh um, man, thank yeah. you so much! And like I said, man, when uh, when our teams match up in in the NBL, man, we gotta we gotta wager something, push ups or, or, or something, something.
1: <laughs> for sure, I, I, I can't beat you in a push up game, dog. We can, we, we... <laughs> we got too many muscles going. Kyle, uh, you know, I want to I want to commend you, man, on a, on an amazing career. You've you've done uh, you. a heck of a job, and um, you know, I admire you know you've been able to play at this high level for so long um so keep doing what you're doing man thank and, you i and appreciate keep being it for a lot of the, the the younger generation and the guys in europe um because they need it they need the representation so um kudos to you man Um proud of what you're doing what you're accomplishing just keep going man
0: thank you man i appreciate it i appreciate it a lot man <laughs>